Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Preview. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamblett and Michael Sidgwick. Here to look ahead to tonight's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review AEW Dynamite but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, Dubai. Oh, pay-per-views or premium live events, or whatever they're bloody called. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week completes with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, though, joined by Hamper and Sidri to look ahead to AEW Dynamite as it debuts on TBS. Michael Sidrick, what a show to look forward to as well. Yeah, absolutely. It looks quality on paper. I expect them to do something incredible in the feature match. I expect them to do some kind of big hook whether it's some kind of monster angle between MJF and Punk or a new debut or something. They'll have, knowing Tony Khan and the way he operates and given that this is a landmark show where I believe the whole West Coast time zone thing is not a factor anymore. It's a big sort of, you must watch on this new channel every week. I'm expecting something major and I'm expecting something classic at the same time. So everything sort of, points towards an absolutely incredible experience. And I don't subjectively like I've got Omicron reading the news, doom scroll, burnout. I just can't be asked to function at the minute. I just would rather like you know if you just switch the world off for four weeks. Just let freaking be over with. Um and I had a really nice festive season where I didn't really bother much with professional wrestling. Obviously I kept up with what I needed to keep up with. Um I guess, personally, I'm just adjusting to the grind. And I suspect a lot of people are as well, um, feeling sort of the general fatigue of anxiety just around everything for two frigging years. I think a lot of people are just absolutely pig sick of it. And it is therefore Dynamite's job almost to dust away those cynical cobwebs, those thoughts that are just so pervasive and just deliver some awesome two hours of pro wrestling and to get people giddy about the prospect of AEW's 2022. Um, I suspect they'll do it. It would be a bit disastrous if they don't. Yeah. Me and Sidney were having a conversation over the desk about this yesterday. It was obviously January the 4th yesterday. We'd followed day one. There was a Monday Night Raw that had just happened, a New Year's Eve to come. This show now, 
double Wrestle well, triple Wrestle Kingdom and Battle for the Belts on Saturday, it felt like there was all of this wrestling in this week specifically to kind of kick the ear off with a bang. And it felt like the total opposite. We, it was as if it had already happened. It was like like all of this week, to me, felt a little bit like the, not just the Raw after WrestleMania, but the SmackDown after WrestleMania. Like, haven't I just seen all of it? I didn't really feel mentally or physically ready for so much this week. Um, but now, like, as we're on the precipice of this Dynamite specifically, because of all the shows that would kind of catch you at the last minute, you run down the card, you start thinking about the various permutations, your fantasy book as AEW invites you to do. And there is a lot to get excited about, not least the TBS element. They're, they're going to be in more homes. Now, it's America, obviously, and, oh, I can't find the remote to change the channel. We know there's always bizarre panic. We've, like, we've lived this vicariously through, like, the American broadcasts of shows and how wrestling companies panic so much about channel changes in a way that just I don't think would happen in the UK. It's a strange like there's a transatlantic divide here between how much we as viewers would panic over. So I don't imagine British Bake Off viewers found it too difficult to switch between BBC One and Channel Four <laughs> when that show moved. And yet you would think that the button doesn't exist on the remote the way that wrestling companies talk about channel changes. So I hope that they like I hope that this conscious effort, I guess, to make the most of the extra homes that TBS has doesn't go unrewarded because I too feel like they will be working for not just the familiar faces of the Dynamite regulars, but potentially some new ones. And if you get them now, you keep them for the long haul because the big benefit of the TBS move is that you're not going to have to deal with the clart on of the TNT sports switching the night crack anymore. This is it. It's Wednesdays. It can become a de like destination TV in a new destination. And it, yeah, it should go with a bang, this one. Yeah, so did you mention the, the whole West Coast bollocks stuff earlier on? Um, and combining that with the move to TBS, how much of a difference do you think this is going to make for, for the ratings with, with AEW? Uh, there was some data, I think it, it must have been Brandon Thurston from WrestleNomics, yeah. who's an incredible business wrestling mind. So if it's not him, he's probably done something similar, where he's um, theorised that the drop in viewership has since been mirrored on the East Coast as well. Um, so it might not just, you might, they might not have the luxury of the excuse of, oh, it's fine. You know, then people are, can't be expected to watch it live straight after work or whatever. America, you know what I mean? Uh, time zones. And I don't know. But basically the idea is it's not a convenient time for a big group of people to watch. And um, we can trace the ratings to that actual um, first week where that was thrust upon them. Um, but realistically, They've got a massive match that possibly haven't hyped quite enough, but it's a big one. Big move to TBS. Um, it's a lateral move, if I understand correctly, where the fact that it's available in like very slightly more homes, but it doesn't have the same prestige as a channel. Um, but that kind of cancels the other out. I'm expecting... I know people don't like this. I'm expecting over a milli, right? <laughs> I'm expecting, it's a nice, easy number for me to get behind. I'm hoping that they'll get into the point for zeros as well in terms mm. of the demo. Um, I want them to challenge Raw. I want them to absolutely beat Raw. I don't expect Raw to be any good in response. I do expect it to be desperate and funny, which is what I want. I don't want drab WWE stuff anymore. I want absolutely stupid WWE stuff. So that would be a benefit of um, the ratings increasing. So, yeah, I expect it to perform. I expect it to come very close to Raw this week. 
Now, we don't very often see rematches in AEW, but I think I'll allow it with this one. Hangman Page, Brian Danielson for the AEW World Championship. Of course, last time it went to that epic 60-minute time limit draw. Uh, this time, they're still at a time limit, but there are three judges sat at ringside who will make the decision as to who leaves as champion, if that is the case. Can this live up to, to expectations, Sige? One would hope. One would absolutely hope it would. I don't expect it will go the full hour. The challenge is, if it doesn't in fact go the full hour, or like 59 minutes, um, the challenge is, knowing that the judges are there, knowing that they've established a precedent of them being able to go an hour, is that they need to get the crowd on board for the near falls at like the 12, 15 minute mark. Hopefully they haven't conditioned the fans to not expect anything to happen in the first 20 minutes. Um, maybe they can play with that. Maybe they can go absolutely hell for leather in the first five minutes. I'm very interested in the reaction and how it's structured. But the last time AEW went to Newark, New Jersey, um, is it the Prudential Center? Mm-hmm. Um, they had a white hot crowd for like a B-level dynamite. I remember thinking, we should put something more on this um, New Jersey show, considering they promised blood and guts. And then I had the epiphany of, no, they should be playing arenas this big because Dynamite at its best is incredible. And the crowd is white hot for that. And they should be absolutely bang up for this. Um, in terms of Hangman uh, Page is winning, in terms of the match length and quality and judges and all that, I expect this to go about 40, 45 um, I think the obvious play is them going 58-59, but he gets the book shot in time. I think they've got something cleverer up their sleeve. I'm expecting this to start the show again for the um, just the illusion. And I love this pedantic detail, the illusion that it could very well go an hour because if it starts at 1 hour 20, you know, every time Tony Schiavone, and God bless them for inserting this detail, but every time Tony Schiavone says something to the effect of, you know, TNT have said, we'll go over. It's like, well, you never have. So it's hard <laughs> to believe. It's a nice... Um, consideration of your intelligence but it's nothing more than that and it's becoming a little bit see-through so i honestly think they might even just start on the rain uh, start on the rink no entrances and um, because i think they listen this company and the only drawback and i didn't really experience this on fight and to be honest i thought they did a phenomenal job of inserting certain breaks and spots in the match to meet the tv breaks and um, but i think they would have taken they want a better match it's a sequel. They want a better match. They don't want anyone to say, I wasn't quite as good as the first. And I think to create a better match or to set the stage, at least for a better match, they are wanting to reduce the amount of commercial interruption. So I think you'll get a good 16, 17 minutes. Basically, they're in the ring at the start of the night, bang, ring the bell and go from there. Page will win. Um, there's loads that can do the story. They put in so much at the start and in the uh, original rather. I like the idea of Paige knowing that, right, if I can just hit the buckshot, I subdued him at the end of the first match and I only ran out of time. It's not the weapon. It was just the time I deployed it. That's the problem. And because Danielson's such an incredible strategist and a technical wrestler with a genius ring IQ, I want him to know that Hangman Page knows this and to have every counter imaginable, the bell lock, arm bars, like everything, knowing that he's going to go for the buckshot, which Page, like there's loads they can play with. I'm talking myself up into getting really hyped about it now. Um, the judges, people are interested in the judges, but if you recall uh, full gear 2019, it was all a bit unceremonious. 
like they didn't get special entrances. There was just simply there and they didn't go anywhere near the hour. Um, it was a nice consideration. It just felt like table dressing to make it feel like there was a bit of gravity in their all bloody NWA nerds as we are. Everyone remembers 1989. And if you don't be born earlier, because I'm sick of you. Um, <laughs> in terms of the judges, I don't have any pictures for who it could be. It could just be basically Malenko, Jerry Lynn, and like another agent who's just got a bit about them and a bit of uh, credibility to just set the scene and to make it feel more big time than actually, you know, they won't have any impact. It's not going an hour. However, before I hand over to Hamflit, and I'm sorry for talking so long. I am getting excited after all. <laughs> uh, this is total fantasy book and ride, and I'm a nerd for details, and I... Are you reaching, bro? I'm definitely reaching here, by the way. I'm going to caveat that I'm reaching, but it's a good reach. It's a fun reach. Hangman Page used the words, I don't want some old prick, right? I, I, just, I, I don't think you're going to say the same thing I had, right? This is fun. I'm excited for this. I had a pitch for this. He said, I don't want some old prick telling me that I've lost my championship when I haven't, so I'm going to get it done within the hour. There's a, there's a two-pronged quality aspect to this. What if having got everyone back in wrestling. CM Punk came back. Jesus Christ, how did you get him? Martha Hart, awesome. That's great that Owen's legacy is getting remembered, but that was genuinely a tough negotiation, I imagine. What if the white whale of gruff, incredible, old-school promo men, what if they managed to lull the white whale, that is Ole Anderson, <laughs> back into professional wrestling, and what if... Right, given American Dragon's amazing kind of vicious dickhead gruff character who can't be asked with vlogs and all this, what if he then proceeds to manage Brian Danielson, the American Dragon? I'm so pleased because I love that. I love the idea of Ole Anderson and the American Dragon. Hangman Page saying old prick made me think of the 89-year-old Gene LaBelle as Daniel Bryan's hand. Yes. <laughs> So he's locking on the label lock mid-rig and like the camera cuts to Gene LaBelle going, can him wrench it back? And he's like unable to hide how biased he is because the hold is being magnificently replied in a, applied in a title fight. My God, that's better than mine. What if the booth there? Yeah, get them both. <laughs> Everybody's birthday. Like Cedric's covered in like great detail as well. Like everything there is to love and get excited about with this match. And... Getting excited is something that I don't think AEW have done the best job of doing when it comes to this match. Maybe it's the timing, maybe it's the Christmas thing. That might help the match. I think expectations are a little bit, despite how brilliant the first match was, and I, and I loved it and I loved the finish and I would defend the finish as well. And it was a finish. Stop calling it not a finish. Um, I would actually suggest that the and the expectations are a little bit more measured for this one, mainly because the result feels more predictable this time. Everybody thought, you know, Hangman Page has got to win his first defence, but then he's fighting the best wrestler in the world, or one of the best in Brian Danielson, and you think, well, this could be a pretty cool switch. What AEW brilliantly, in my opinion, did was understand that the biggest appeal of Hangman Page all along was always the fact that he was chasing, and they found a way in his second title defence to make him feel like he's chasing again. He's got to achieve what he did at full gear all over again, and this is his second title fight. I actually thought that was an inspired bit of booking. They've tapped into exactly what makes Hangman Page as relatable and as great as he is. The reason he's anxious in the first place is because just because he had his like fairy tale moment at Fullgate, it wasn't a fairy tale ending. It's real life. It continues and there's going to be struggles and his life's going to undulate. And I think that's how you book 
this champion, he can't just go on. He's going to rack up more wins than draws and losses, obviously. But he can't go on just like a dominant champion. There's got mm. to be that sense of doubt. It's so important. They've found that here. And like I say, I think from a quality point of view, they've maybe measured the expectations quite well with the likes of the judges, with the sense, with the prevailing sense and the feeling that this doesn't go 60 and the judges are just set dressing. Again, AEW have earned it because they put the judges in there once before and it didn't, they weren't needed. And I remember, like me and you, Cedric, remember us talking about this, the panic and misunderstanding from younger fans that were like, I don't want to see Jericho and Cody go 60. And we're trying to say, it's not, don't worry. Like, this is this is a bit. It's not going to go 60. This is just the company trying to reestablish and, like, reimagine something that was once old and make it new again. And they've done it. And you get it with situations like this. My prediction for the structure of the match, which is probably really what it's all about, if we're all assuming that Hangman Page is going to win. The last time I loved a 60-minute draw, as much as I did Paige and Brian, was Omega a card of two? And how did New Japan, when they were amazing, like find a way to do a third match so soon after a 60-minute draw? It was a sprint. It was in the G1. It went 30 minutes. I want Paige and Danielson to sprint through the 15, 16 minutes of commercial free time at the start of Dynamite. I, too, think it will open. for the. It just makes sense that it mm. opens. And thinking, well, we have to. We have to afford it the first hour just in case. And there is not a breath taken in that first uh, like sort of section before the pre like pre-commercial stuff, not a breath taken because what else does that mirror? That mirrors Kenny Omega versus uh, Brian Danielson at Grand Slam. And they are crafting just an immaculate three-way dance if they want to between these three, the 60 minute men, the guys that can't beat each other, the guys that hold one win over each other, all these sort of moves. There's an awesome organic triple threat being booked here. And if you have these two sprint in the exact same way Omega and uh, Danielson did a Grand Slam, then kind of Hangman Page just tick that off as well. You slow it down in the break, they get a breather, Brian grabs a hold, or, you know, Hangman Page is selling or something like that. And then, yeah, you aim for the finish around that 40-minute mark. But I, Ole Anderson and Jean LaBelle having the night of the lives with some sort of mystery third judge, I'm a younger face or somebody a bit more familiar to the AEW fans, that'd be great. We've, we've done it. We've completed this match. <laughs> the wrestlers yeah. can do the easy bit, I suppose. <laughs> Not really a lot to add on my end. Uh, giddy with excitement. Uh, completely agree that I hope it doesn't go to the judges, but I like the, the concept of them being there. Uh, I also obviously think that, that Hangman Page retains. Um, and yeah, just intrigued to see how on earth they top what they did last time. But I have complete faith in in both the guys. Um, not the only title match, of course, tonight, Hamlet. The uh, inaugural TBS Women's Champion will be crowned. It is Ruby Soho versus Jade Cargill. I'm fascinated to know who you guys think is, is leaving with this title. I'm going with Jade Cargill, but I, I still can't decide if I'm just a bigger fan of hers than others. I've, I've been worked at points, basically. Um, the squashes have been a bit transparent and they've not always been the, uh, the smoothest. So that's less than ideal. But I've actually quite enjoyed Jade Cargill when she's put to the test. You know, like, I cannot speak highly enough about still going back to the Shaq and Jade Red Velvet Cody match for all the things that that achieved, including giving Jade kind of the best possible spotlight debut because you saw just enough of this, like, just awesome talent looks-wise that just needed to put together some, even some basic fundamentals. That was all she was ever going to need. They have gradually established that. And then in the Thunder Rosa match last week, which was which was imperfect, and Jade Cargill continues to be imperfect, she is developing. Because yet again, you were getting to see what proper development looks like versus the warped version we've had in WWE these last few years. She is developing as a talent. When they craft Jade Cargill's spots, 
Jade Cargill is like a few others on television. People loved and gift, rightfully so, that incredible thrust kick on Thunder Rosa. But the spot of the match for me was catching the dive and hitting her with a backbreaker. Human beings can't do that, but Jade Cargill is not most of the human beings. And Ruby Soho must have about 10 of them in her back pocket. Andy Murray has a great take that Ruby Soho is possibly better wrestling men than she's wrestling women. She will know how to do giant killer spots, fighting from underneath spots against a much bigger talent in Jade Cargill. She'll have loads of them lined up. She's going to, at points, technically outclass her. But what else does Jade Cargill have now? The advice and possible physical interference of Mercedes Martinez. What an immediately inspired pairing that is they're going to have tag matches where jade cargill is going to learn there's going to be kayfabe coaching that you're going to be able to see jade cargill learn a move learn a hold aw love giving wrestlers submissions so you've got different finishes she's going to learn a submission or two off mercedes martinez all of this for me as a package is going to overwhelm ruby soho and it's going to be great because the heel babyface dynamic is perfect for that as well like genuinely like it, it thing is it could fail that's the problem with like rough around the edges talent. I don't want to call her green, but rough around the edges talent. It doesn't always go right. But if things go right, I think this will be excellent. Just a huge, huge amount of dread for me permeates the match itself and the discourse in the aftermath of the match. I think this is a decent opportunity uh, for us to discuss the happenings at New Year because we've not really had the chance to do that. We were all off. I feel so sorry for the two women involved in this match because they are absolutely knackered either way. Um, before we get to that, let's talk about uh, the quality of the match because we like to do this, the prospective quality. I worry. Uh, one of the reasons why I worry is that I think Ruby Soho hasn't yet hit the potential that she has. This is meant to be a big platform. So, you know what, WWE squandered me like they squandered so many other talents. I'm going to prove them wrong with a string of great matches um, and she hasn't really done that, if I'm being honest. I like the Statlander match. Um, I thought her performance was far too melodramatic in the moment that completely overshadowed everything about it. It was just so ridiculous. Um, such a ridiculous performance centre face. That's all anyone remembers from that match because she completely overdid the role. Um, she's had matches against um, Jamie Hayter that were a little bit rough. Uh, the Nyla Rose match, I was kinder towards than most. I think it was an intelligent uh, story. But a lot of people didn't like it. And just because I liked it, it doesn't mean it's going to really help her reputation. She needs, at this point, she exists, uh, does Ruby Soho, to be the least euphemistic um, interpretation of the word good hand. She needs to be a great hand, someone you can rock solid depend on to give you like three and three quarters, four stars. She exists like, tonight, like tonight, didn't she? Yeah. She exists for nights like tonight. She knows that's why she exists. And uh, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on the women as a result. In the meantime, these marathon tapings with like Elevation, Dynamite and Rampage, I think the uh, chickens have come home to roost in that. A lot of the AW fans seemingly feel like the women's match on Dynamite and Rampage. Oh, that's the one where we can just relax. Have a little bit of a breather because there's more important stuff coming up. And the the, the atmosphere surrounding some actually really good AEW women's, the women's division matches of late been really upsetting to, to me and damning of the of the long-term strategy. Um, so there's so much working against them. And I haven't even mentioned how green, rough around the edges Jade Cargill is. Like, that pump kick was outstanding. I really hope they over-deliver. I'm desperate for them to over-deliver. 
But the issue is, and this is why I feel so sorry for them, they could put on a total ripper, right? Jade's best match. Ruby Soho's genuine, elusive, I can really, really, really go, and I'm going to be a massive asset to this division because I've not really felt it yet, if I'm being honest. They could do all this. I really hope they can. I think they can, and I hope they can. In the end, it's not going to matter because a lot of dickheads on Twitter are not going to be happy with this result either way in the wake of a very stupid tweet um, posted by Tony Khan. If Ruby Soho wins, and that was my choice going into it because I think they want to complement uh, heel champion Britt Baker with the babyface TBS champion Ruby Soho. Um, I think that was the story all along. If Ruby Soho wins, it's a terrible look. It proves right something they don't want to um, feel is right. If Jade Cargill wins, everyone is, is all the bad faith actors are just going to turn around and say, "Well, that's a make good." Mm-hmm. And it's going to be it's going to reflect so poorly on Jay Cargill because so that might not be the case. And if the promoter then turns around and says, "No, we were going to strap her up all along," they will say, "Well, we said Big Swole was a great wrestler, and then he said she was rubbish." So his integrity has taken a battering from that New Year's uh, tweet. I'm reluctant to go too far into the like just the awful guts of this conversation and discourse. One, because I'm a white 36 year old podcaster who's incredibly well represented by AEW's product, if I'm being perfectly honest. My favorite wrestlers of all time are in it. My favorite storytelling devices of all time are in it. My favorite sort of things are in it. Promos, angles, the the cocktail. It's all great. I love cocktails. (laughs) I'm thoroughly represented by AEW, and I know for a goddamn fact that a lot of people are not. Um, So I just feel weird talking about it. You can't list who's won and who's getting pushed and who the champions are because people are telling us, and we should listen, that that is nowhere near enough. Um, I just feel sorry because if Jay Cargill gets strapped up, people are going to be dicks. And, you know, look, more needs to be done. How many times have we said on this podcast that the format of American television, and it doesn't matter how much AEW excels at this medium, the format of American pro wrestling television doesn't do enough for international talents, right? The Lucha Bros, look at how much their TV time and genuine storytelling, um, booking, all the rest of it, pales in comparison to the Young Bucks, who had this big umbrella storyline. They were, like, all over the place. They had loads of promo time, loads of angles. They um, dovetailed with the main event with Omega and Page. The Lucha Bros feel like it's not a Luchaverse, but it's very much just tag team division stuff. And they don't really get much promo time. But it's just they're not, they pale in significance. Riho, she better have something to do tonight to build that match with Bray Baker because she's had nothing other than a win over her. Um, which, yes, AEW rotates, it's cast and it's broken. But. That being the case, Jungle Boy's not worked for a while. He gets a backstage promo every single week and he gets a nice, cool, uh, deadpan line. Riho gets nothing, like absolutely nothing, and she's got a match on Saturday. It'd be the bare minimum. I'm asking them to do the bare minimum, right? The black community have got complaints that far exceed those, possibly, because they are underrepresented in that company. It doesn't matter if Big Swole, who I thought was not a particularly good wrestler, um... She had some very valid points to make. Very, very valid points. Um, and Tony Khan, it was an idiotic tweet. Genuinely an idiotic tweet. Um, even if he felt that way, even if uh, there was sort of maybe an agreement to put each other over in a mutual agreed exit, we're not renewing a contract, but we'll not put it like that. 
it doesn't matter if Big Swole isn't a very good wrestler and maybe didn't deserve the platform that she felt she deserved. And why wouldn't she feel like she deserved that? If you're not a committed, confident, motivated pro wrestler, what are you doing here? Um, none of that matters. It was a stupid tweet, very stupid tweet. And there's more to this conversation that, frankly, I'm not prepared to have in public, but that tweet was stupid and it's kind of ruined this match. Yeah, Hanvalet, just a quick word from you on, on that tweet whilst we're on the topic. I, I mean, I don't have a great deal to add. Cedric's put it really well there. It was like my immediate thoughts was that it was needlessly defensive and idiotic and a little bit cruel as well. Um, you know, not not just to sort of repeat everything Cedric said about representation within AEW or on Dynamite or Rampage or whatever, but um, on a wider... And again, because it, partly because I just don't feel experience to speak on it there are some excellent podcasts out there um that you can go and listen to um featuring people way close to this topic or have got way more information in front of them or can just speak on it um in a way that I, I don't particularly feel entitled to to be honest but strictly speaking of the tweet and of what that sort of reflects um Tony Khan has for me once or twice done similar things like this before in an act of defensiveness and there is a Part of you that thinks, well, you know, if you feel like you've, you've read a headline and it's very important that you try and get across that, then why not try and do that? But Twitter is almost never the place for that. So that was his kind of his first mistake, I guess. The tone and nature of his tweet was the second one. What I'm guessing is maybe a failure to listen to some of her words in context and some of her words in like longer form rather than just responding to maybe what he'd seen. Again, I don't know. I, I don't want to speak for him. It's just that tweet certainly read like, a decision made rather impulsively, rather not. I think it's maybe done damage to AEW's brand as the babyface organisation. It's going to cast certain shadows and doubts over releases in the future, over other relationships in the future. It put a lot of talent in AEW in quite a precarious and unfair position because he is in the position of power and they are not. And some of them maybe felt obligated to act either in defence of the company or in defence of Big Swole. And, you know, I don't need to name those talents, but plenty came out in, in various different ways about that. It was an ugly scene um, that brought about ugliness that AEW certainly didn't need. But I will say this, and again, this was on a, a podcast I was listening to, um, and it was Nate Milton speaking of for post-wrestling, it was. And he made a point that I, it was something that I hadn't really considered because Twitter's never the place. We all know that. Um, you can certainly trigger discourse, but you're not going to solve anything through Twitter. But he made the point that a lot of, um, and I'm putting the words in his mouth, but like search post wrestling's podcast on this specific subject. And Nate Milton is a guest on it. And he made a point that um, a lot of this conversation was being had, but not a lot of it was being maybe brought to the forefront. Maybe a positive to come from a negative, ugly and difficult situation are, the ram like the outcomes and the ramifications the conversation is being had in a we talk about good faith and bad faith i like to think it's being had in a very good faith way now tony khan hasn't addressed the tweet and maybe an apology might have helped smooth mm. things over you know in the fullness of time maybe a day later clearer heads and all that sort of stuff maybe that wouldn't have hurt but in terms of on the outside at least everybody seems to be speaking with a want and a hope to make this better. Big mm. Swole wasn't a critic of AEW at large. You know, mm. this wasn't 
released wrestler shoots on company that let her go. You know, it, it, this wasn't any of that sort of salacious, somebody leaves WWE, all that kind of thing. This was very different. And it got out of hand as a result of like an idiotic tweet. So maybe down the line, there's a positive to come and maybe it'll come sooner than it, than it might have done. I'm not saying the tweet was a good thing, but maybe away from Twitter, there's a positive that can be arrived at as a result. Yeah, just to sort of echo something I said before in the news, I was kind of astonished he's left it up for so long, first and foremost. He hasn't thought, like you say, whether an apology or not, just I think just leaving it out there and, you know, seemingly standing by it by doing that was a bad decision. I think every aspect of the tweet was a, was a bad idea. The fact that you can you can try and counteract accusations by saying, well, look at all these other people. The fact you can fit, fit them into a bloody tweet speaks volumes for me. Um, and, and yeah, just to echo what both of you said, no one really asked that many questions when, when Big Swole got released. I know it was the first, well, I think it was one of the first releases, even though it wasn't a release, like we say, it was a, a mutual agreement not to renew a contract. Well, that's... That was, it was, you know, it's, it was, it didn't seem to raise any eyebrows. It was, you know, absolutely fine. And then to turn around subsequent to that, you know, whether or not you feel she's spoken out of turn on that podcast or not, doesn't really justify anything that it was said. Um, and yeah, to bring it back to the match, I have said from the beginning of this tournament, it's going to be Jade Cargill, the inaugural TBS women's champion. Um, and I hope as you both have, have talked about there, this doesn't now subsequently overshadow a brilliant crowning glory for one of their early breakout talents. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Uh, but let's bring it back, Sige, uh, to another title match on uh, Dynamite tonight. The tag team titles, it's the Lucha Bros versus Jurassic Express. Um, and with the, the added wrinkle of, of Christian, of course, Sige, it's just all that more intriguing. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, they had a match on uh, Rampage that was absolutely incredible. Like the Lucha Bros have got this kind of they botch more often than you might think considering how incredible they are at their best like the FTR matches suffered with sort of stylistic um, discrepancies if you like um, they have incredible matches with the Young Bucks the best other Lucha Brothers match I can recall in AEW they've had several elsewhere of course was against Lucha uh, Jurassic Express it was absolutely incredible seamless some of the spots were arranged so wonderfully. Like, it was the best I've seen Luchasaurus look since 2019. I expect something of equal quality. I expect this to main event it. As a result, I feel like the Christian Cage thing is going to be really um, at the forefront. Because AEW do tend to do it saga for a saga's sake. I think, conversely, this Christian Cage, Jungle Boy stuff has been immaculate. Because what they've done is they've got Jungle Boy to the next level. They've got Jungle Boy, like Tony Khan, just about him over now, because, you know, he is great. He's so great at pairings. Like people you'd never think to put together, he puts them together and you realise, oh, that's why you put them together. Like Jungle Boy is sort of absorbed Christian Cage's like deadpan wit. He can come up with like a killer. He can maximise his minutes in a backstage mm. promo with like a really memorable... Um, that's what I'm looking for. Soundbite, right? So not only have they done nice little teasers along the way, that Christian Cage is a bit of a knob. <laughs> it is corrupting them a little bit. Um, he, he said as much in the um, pre-tape with Matt Hardy, if you remember. It's like, I'm a dick. Of course I am, but at least I admit it sort of thing. The time is now. And this is the thing. I think the Lucha Bros are going to escape with the titles here, but I think there's a fascinating direction in pure wholesome Jungle Boy winning a title kind of reluctantly. And then running with that, where Christian Cage interferes on their behalf, they win. Jungle Boy's like, oh, I'm meant to be the next big breakout star. And that's tainted because my mentors just completely done it in the way that I didn't want this to be done. Then there's different storylines they could branch off with that. Obviously, Jungle Boy versus Christian Cage. Um, and then Jurassic Express saying, well, you know, I, I don't want Christian Cage to be here. We'll do the rematch. And Christian Cage sort of saying, no, 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 nothing like that. There's loads they can do with the title switch. And um, was it August All Out or September? Very early September, wasn't it? September, yeah. That's it's been a decent tag team for uh, Rain for the Lucha Brothers in terms of match quality, at least. There's not much else they can do other than something with Santana and Ortiz, I guess. But when you think about these things, you start to really think that could be a switch here, which is good because you don't want it to be a very predictable. Or oh, Christian fails to interfere. Jungle Boy notices it or whatever. There's loads they can do here. The timing of the match is really good because it's a big momentous show after the sort of title reign, which is consistent with the tag team division. FTR and SCU had similar um, length reigns. So it's all sort of converged together for completely high drama delivered in the vehicle of an absolutely incredible, like not a spot fest because that would sell short how well these are arranged, um, but definitely like a total excitement festival. I suspect that we're not getting a switch. But I'm very safe when it comes to AEW. But when they pull the rug, they do it that in a way that always shocks you. So part of me does think that we'll see a switch. And this will main event. That's funny because I thought this was open and shut in terms of the result itself. Um, but that's more that's less to do with the um Jurassic Express story, more it is to do with just how the Leech Brothers have been booked as champions. There's just there's been a formulaic element to their title defences. It's been, it's always felt really in their reign with a lack of 
there's been stories, but not very good ones. It's been more about getting their rankings up, getting their stats padded as champions for the day that they do get a good story. Um, proud and powerful, or a team that I imagine we might talk about later on in this preview. There feels like they're a pretty epic feeling Lucha Brothers tag matches up ahead um, if AEW wish to tell the stories. And whilst I really, really love one element of this, I don't think this particular pairing is that one. I, I love the Jurassic Express element of it, though. Same as I think this can be a great match, more in service of Jurassic Express losing than anything else. Christian um, justified Jungle Boy looking towards him and thinking, wow, not only is he coming to our life as a good friend and a mentor and a great wrestler, but he's also instilled a winning mentality in us. Uh, All Out was obviously that big moment where Jungle Boy had to get down in the muck, as Christian has done over and over again, to get the win, and he did. Because by that point, Christian had given him all the reason to believe in him. On Wednesday's Dynamite, Christian was the reason the team lost. And I think this is a nice point for that story to go the other way. Christian is using everything he's built up in the bank with Jurassic Express over the last six months and not from the last seven days. They're going to lose again tonight. Again, it might be as a result of like Christian's inadvertent interference, some sort of miscommunication, or them just not being quite ready and then following Christian's advice when it was the wrong thing to do. And I think him now like switching from Jungle Boy feeling like he's an angel on the shoulder to Luchasaurus seeing that he's the devil is how you arrive at this inevitable split and the really cool Jungle Boy Christian match that we've been shown for months and months. It's such an awesome story. It's been really lovingly crafted. And I think we've entered the point now where everything Christian is telling them has gone from being quite successful to no longer working. And I I think that's how we arrive at that. Um, Like the match should be great. Like remind us, Cedric, because my memory is never as good as yours for AW matches. We've had this before, haven't we? Uh, Yes. How was it? It was awesome. This uh, it was it was following the first. I oh know it wasn't. When was it? Was it was it a rampage title defense? I oh know it was the tournament final to get to the books at all out. Oh yes, of course. That was, yeah, yeah, that was great. That was really good. Amazing. What was the basketball player who was going absolutely ballistic for it in the football? Janice. Yeah, Janice. That was it. Best was... use of a celebrity because it didn't really feel like a use of a celebrity. It just felt like mm. it started happening to be then. He was loving it. Yeah, be, 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 a, be a banger then, and I just think they'll return. I, I, I don't know. I think I've got my like WWE brain arguing with myself here, i.e. we've got to have the titles involved if you're going to do a big split eventually with Jurassic Express. But I think you're right. I think, you know, the names you've mentioned there, particularly someone like Proud and Powerful working with, with Lucha Bros. First and foremost, I'm just bloody glad they're not feuding with FDR anymore. It was the it was the Bunny and Blade and TJ of the, the men's tag division this for a while, but... Um, yeah, I think I think a, a while back, if you'd have asked me, I'd have said Jurassic Express leave with the titles. But I think you're right. I think Jurassic Express fall short. Christian sort of leans on Jungle Boy and was like, well, if you just sort of cut a corner here or, you know, do this, then you can get the gold. But and that's the test, yeah, of, of, of Jungle Boy's you know, his morals, etc. Uh, and hopefully I think he comes through with, with, with flying colours, but uh, it, it's it's just nice to have feuds that aren't centred around titles because we so rarely get that in the other company. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think Lucha Bros probably retain here, um, probably to hold them for a couple of more months. I think they're probably going to drop them at Revolution. 
uh, to someone like Proud and Powerful, like you say, who really deserve a title reign. But this is the, the reason why it's the reason why I love these sorts of matches is if they hit something big on, I don't know, Penta and Ray Phoenix is out of the game, I'll 100% bite on the pinfall. So, yeah, that's the, the beauty of all this. Before we get uh, to uh, Malachi Black, uh, guys, and, and Brian Pillman Jr., and what on earth he's going to do to him, uh, Sidge mentioned earlier about MJF being in action. You know, that could be just a straightforward squash match, Hamlet. But like, like Sidge alluded to, there's a lot more stuff going on with him that can be in and around a match, whether it be a promo, like he says, whether it be interaction with Punk or, or what. What do you see happening tonight? Amazing this. Where we're at with MJF currently is absolutely amazing. Um, probably the best thing going on in AEW. So this match, first of all, brilliantly, as always, will, hit, will be his contractually obligated two-minute win over a nobody. What a fantastic character detail that they continue to have lots of fun with. A completely undeserved record that he amasses by only wrestling the bare minimum and having the easiest night of anybody that he works with. Fantastic. So that's going to be great. Um, last week, so the awesome detail that they have added a million-dollar man Andre the Giant element to his relationship with Wardlow, that now not only does he pay his bills, but he's paying him to win a title for him. Like That's, mm-hmm. that's just tremendous. Anything he can do to put a thumb on the relationship, the growing relationship between Wardlow and the audience, MJF is panicking. MJF is getting very worried because wrestlers here aren't stupid. Roman Reigns is the only one in WWE that gets afforded this. MJF watches the shows, or at least he keeps abreast of things going on. And he can see that Wardlow is starting to build a relationship with the audience, and MJF needs to get in the middle of that. So at first, he assigns Sean Spears as the accountability buddy. Now he wants to send Wardlow out to like literally do his dirty work and win a belt. But what else does that say about MJF? After running away from CM Punk in the building, he is now trying to run away from him in the story. He now wants to no-sell that he's even in a feud with CM Punk. CM Punk is coming out on Dynamite and calling MJF out and saying, like, like if virtually last week was pretty much an enough's enough promo from CM Punk. Like, let's get to the point that we all know we're going to get to. And MJF's busy in the business of trying to get Wardlow to win in the TNT title, suggesting that all that talk is no longer his primary concern, that there's a belt he wants to win instead. It's such good character work from probably like the best guy to do it in AEW because few wrestlers could justifiably be feuding with about 12 people at once, <laughs> as well as MJF. It's, it's like just so inspired. So he could cut a promo where he very knowingly tries to brush off the in, impending threat of CM Punk because he's had to run away from him in a building and then dodged him in the following week. And it could be all Wardlow stuff while CM Punk just casts a smirk over at MJF, nervous about like Wardlow's potential stepping away and stepping into the limelight himself. Um, I expect them to get to the, the building of the match um, in the next maybe two weeks. It, I thought we'd be having it tonight. I honestly thought it'd be a, a TBS match, MJF Punk. But the fact that they've held off this long, they've had a six-man where, like, it was so brilliant how they avoided them. It, they couldn't do the fake Invisible Wall WWE CM Punk has to stand on the apron and wait his turn. He literally chased him around a building just to try and get his hands on him. They went as far as they could doing that once. I don't want to see them stretch that idea again into more tags as distractions, into more um, like multi-man matches to somehow have MJF keep dodging CM Punk. There's maybe a Wardlow singles match in there if you want to delay it one more time. Revolution just feels a long way away. I think Mm. we might be starting to see the match 
um, sooner than that. Correct me if I'm wrong, Sige, because I don't know if this is the case. I haven't heard any word on it this year. But do the do the rankings and the records reset? And if so, could MJF win this match and say, well, I'm top of the rankings, so I think I should be in with a title shot for Hangman Page's title next? They do and they don't. Okay. The historical record carries over, and it's all work. It's all complete work anyway. Certain, like, you can beat, like, three goobers on dark, and, oh, you got a title match. It it's a work. I think in the f- fiction of AW they reset so that would allow for someone who's not won much in 2021 or theoretically go into 2022 with a clean slate, but they can they have they have the cake and eat it too, is what I'm trying to arrive at more succinctly. Hamford's covered everything brilliantly with the whole Wardlow um element hovering above all of this, which is fascinating, right? But it wouldn't be a bit of Dadly Boys What Culture Wrestling content without a brief mention of the one, two, three kid, right? Because they could potentially, if not tonight, at some point, make a one, two, three kid character, like a one, two, three kid-esque character here. Because if you recall on the dynamite in that weird Christmas period between Christmas and New Year, CM Punk with that dickhead glint in his eye said something to the effect of, all right, MGF, you know, says he doesn't want anything to do with me. That's a shame. I'll pursue a title because I want one too. But, you know, it would be a shame if someone was to interfere in his quest to get the title. They could do some kind of gimmick where CM Punk, and the ultimate humiliation, because he wants this match with MGF, MGF is scared of it. MGF could be like infuriated into granting him this match if CM Punk sort of carries out the illusion of interfering in an MGF match against a total enhancement talent, no less. It will be a total shock, the likes of which AEW don't do that often, but when they do, they sing. And then you've got the guy who beats MGF, can have this like sentimental underdog, Horowitz one, two, three kid run, and then he hopefully forgets over, he gets a bit of organic support, and then a heel kills him somewhere down the line. So that is an inspired idea, Cedric. What about Colin Delaney? Because Wardlow battered him last week. Yes. We know know Colin Delaney can go as well. We know he's got a certain value in the, oh, wouldn't it be a shame if someone actually killed him? And like, no, it would be funny because babyface goobers getting killed is always funny. But, you know, a lot of people like your Fuego Del Sol's and stuff. and and They will potentially gravitate towards a Colin Delaney or someone like it. Love that as an idea. Uh, finally then, Sige, Malachi Black versus Brian Pillman Jr. What's he going to do to him? Oh, he's going to kill him very quickly and it's going to be a little bit too cathartic. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like The whole idea is you're meant to take Malachi Black seriously as this existential threat to everyone um, around him. Um, his match against Griff Garrison, well, his performance in it at least was tremendous. I'd be disappointed if I don't see one of the best squash matches ever because that one against Garrison, he just killed him so nicely, so beautifully. Like that jumping knee strike. It's going to be all the sweet with Pillman Jr. It's like, how stupid must the lad be to have such a heartbreaking life and to have that like really put forward into the public consciousness following Dark Side of the Ring. And he kind of undoes it with these stupid T-shirt decisions. He's a terrible Twitter game. <laughs> and he's just his general self. So <laughs> it's going to be cathartic in a way that you don't want it to be, but it will be. Um, yeah, he's going to... He took the Black Mask tremendously, whether he wanted to or not. 
Um, so I'm expecting a brief thing. It's weird this because if he tries, he could continue to kill Pillman after the match, right? If Griff Garrison tries to save him, there's the optics of a two-on-one babyface beat down, but it's not going to be that long. It's just going to be a quick save, lights out, lights back on, Brody King there, setting up House of Black versus Varsity Blondes, and then you've got House of Black as an established unit, the idea of which I adore. Um, and then they could make a real big impression in the tag team scene, because I feel like that singles men's scene is so crammed. It's so stuffed. Um that yeah, a tag team run for Malachi Black because he's obviously over. He gets a reaction. He's incredible, and this is possibly the best place for him because between the Forbidden Door stuff, the Nick Gage stuff, and all sorts of else going on, the um, tag team division in terms of a big depth tag team division kind of took a back seat in 2021. I'd like to see it re-emphasized, and I think Malachi Black and Brody King being a team would do would go a long way towards re-establishing it. I think it would be helpful tonight, actually, to make quite a big angle out of that post-match scene. It's a new show on TBS. You have an opportunity. Um, it's going to feel like a big stage, an elevated one. You know, even if it's not really, it's going to feel like that tonight. So if you have Brody King arrive, if you have the new look, Julia Hart, completing the set of the House of Black as, a, as an overall presentation, I think it stands them in great stead for the year ahead. Malachi Black was let down, I would say, by the like final outcome of the Cody program, but he was far from buried. I just, I think his heat was slightly extinguished. This is a great opportunity to, as was the Griff Garrison squash, earn that back in fairly short order. So I think you could make this house of black. Um, and I think it probably extends beyond him and Brody King and Julia Hart. Eventually. I, I feel like in Malachi Black's mind, he's probably got something bigger. I don't know if that's going to be good, but I think he's got something bigger. And I think it's, if it starts tonight with an, an impressive visual scene, of the Varsity Blondes being kind of left for dead by them ahead of the inevitable tag squash. It's the best possible start. Um, it's just occurred to me, as I was talking about big angles on TBS, how have we gone this whole podcast without wondering aloud what Cody's going to do with his big night on his dream network? Like, oh. maybe maybe he'll open the show just because he wants to, or maybe he'll, <laughs> be the, maybe he'll be the third judge because he'll have that glint in his eye and say, oh, it's TBS. Like, it is my destiny. Like, you could... Once upon a time, I would have been saying this with cynical rage. Now it's it's sort of in character for him to sort of try and have this night for himself. That's good. Be I can't wait to see the reaction. Is it, is it like, did he have um, the TBS start time on his boots at All In? Is that right? So something like that. It was, wasn't it? Like the like the start time of the old Superstation show, printed on his boots. Six or five. It's it's that's his thing, isn't it? Like. <laughs> When it comes to Malachi Black, though, I've said this often, all the spooky bollocks, I couldn't care less. But as, as Sid has, has mentioned there, him murdering some poor dude, that's the Malachi Black I tune in to watch. So, yes, not to sound too harsh, but more of that, please, tonight on AEW Dynamite. But do let us know your thoughts ahead of tonight's stat show on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Well, actually, you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflet at... Michael Hamflet. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. And you can follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. And make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling 
wherever you get your podcast from for daily wrestling podcasts. Our NXT review is available right now. And our review of this show will be in your feed as soon as it is released tomorrow. But for now, this has been the AW Dynamite preview. Enjoy the show tonight. My thanks to the Dadley boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.